Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Amigos Interview. I am joined today by none other than Neil Thomas, a.k.a. Retro Man Cave. How's it going, Neil? Hello. I'm great. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. Good. Well, I see that you're joining me from the man, the uh, the Retro Man Cave layer itself. Absolutely right. I'm in the cave. I'm joined by Trevor over here. He's keeping an eye on proceedings. And... Uh, I can't see you. There's some technical issues that we had, so it's a little unnerving. If if you're making any hand gestures gestures at me, I can't see. So um, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll try and I'll try and gesticulate verbally as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I'm so glad that you you're able to do this 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 talk from the cave because the cave is sort of uh, it's sort of your stick. You know, this is this is the, what the cave is the channel. It's yeah. not about me. It's it, the, the cave is an entity in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could start things off by you just sort of uh, telling me about why you decided to to create the cave. Did the cave come before the channel or did it come after the channel? What's what's the story there? The, the cave. How did the cave start? Um, there was no great plan to set out and say, I'm going to create a YouTube channel and it's going to be all about this cave. It just quite naturally happened. Um, I registered the channel all the way back in, oh, we're going back to 2012, I think is the date on YouTube. But I didn't start making any videos properly until 2017. And the reason for that is, I guess there've been several caves, in fact. If we go back to the first cave, it quite literally was a cave. It was a basement under a Victorian house that was sort of damp and um, <clears throat> It wasn't a particularly nice place to be, and it was an even worse place to keep retro computers. But it was, it was the only space I had, and I think a lot of us do this. We find the only corner that we can in our house to create our little retro space, and that's exactly what I did there. And uh, my my wife at the time, my ex-wife now, um, she actually bought me a sign to put on the wall that said "Man Cave," so <laughs> she christened it the Man Cave, um, and then. Fast forward um, a year or two later, um, uh, I had to sell my retro collection that was in the cave to, to raise some funds after a few sort of twists and turns in life, uh, as happens to us all at times. Uh, and so um, everything went. And that's when I registered the channel on YouTube because it was to sell stuff on eBay. Oh. I had to sell my collection. And I thought the best way to get a good price for this stuff and to show people how good the stuff is that I've got will be to make videos and to put them on YouTube. So that happened back in 2012. And we're talking mint condition, CDTVs. Um, I had an Atari ST that had never actually, the seal had never been broken. It was that new. Wow. Um, I, had, oh, I had such a mint collection and it all had to go. And, you know, it raised the funds and it served its purpose. So I guess that was the first iteration of the retro man cave mm -hmm. and then fast forward to 2017 um i just put a video on youtube again no plan whatsoever i just thought i enjoy retro gaming retro computers i don't know anyone in my circle of friends who does i was a you know a bit of a freak in that respect you know they all liked football and formula one and things like that i had no one to talk to about all this retro stuff so i thought okay if i just put myself out there maybe i'll make a few friends who are into the same thing strike up some conversations in the comments section um and that was it really it was just a desire to um express what i enjoyed doing and try and find similar people but 
that, that that was as far as any plan went, I think. Now, as you, uh, like you said, many of us have, have sold and bought and resold and rebought over, over yeah. the years. When you were, as you have created um, Retro Man Cave or the Man Cave Mark Mark II or whatever it is, did you notice yourself building your collection in a different way than you did at first? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it came down to funds, really. You know, if you fast forward from 2012, when a CDTV might be quite affordable, still expensive, but a lot more inf- affordable than 2017 when you're talking what, five, six hundred pounds for a good CDTV, if not more. So I couldn't just simply repurchase that collection. So that's where I started to look at broken things and uh, try repairing them to ultimately get the collection I wanted um, at a price I could afford. So uh, and and ultimately um, doing it that way, I have found is, is a lot more rewarding than it was first time around. Because, yeah. you know, you think about an Atari ST in its box, sealed, it was never meant to be that way. It was always meant to be taken out and played and used and abused. Um, so I get a lot more satisfaction out of fixing things up and then actually using them and sharing them with other people. Sure. Uh, I agree completely. I think that there's there's really a, a ceiling of enjoyment that you can have with anything that's still sealed. Um, you can get to a certain point where it's on the shelf and you're you're proud to look at it, but it just sort of stops there. And um, when you just crack that seal, there's it's it's like opening Pandora's box of fun. Um, do you have anything right now in the in the man cave that you're you're most proud of? Oh, um, it's usually the last thing I've worked on because okay. I've just spent, you know, two or three weeks of effort fixing it up uh, and then I move on to the next thing and I'm proud of that. But um, behind me, one that I'm quite proud of is the Amstrad Mega PC because mm. that was a real fixer upper. The the battery had leaked inside it and destroyed a lot of it. Um, so I really enjoyed putting that together. Um the other thing I'm proud of is a mini gauntlet arcade cabinet I did an episode on. Um, so I haven't got the room here, he says. I know I've got a lot of room <laughs> compared to a lot of people, but I haven't got the room for a full-sized arcade cabinet. So I built a mini sort of three-quarter um, or quarter scale, not three-quarter, quarter scale gauntlet arcade cabinet. Um, would you like me to point the camera at it for you? I would love I can, to see it. I, can, I would love to see it. Bear with me. Okay. Let me twist the camera around. Wow, that is a thing of beauty, and, <laughs> and that is that is a hundred percent custom made. You 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 built that from scratch. That's that's why I'm quite proud of it. Wow. Because, <clears throat> come back to the mic, yeah, because that was built uh, in a shed from scratch for, from MDF, uh, right down to designing the artwork that I stuck on there. So um, yeah, I'm quite proud of that one. Do you do you have any plans for a, a next arcade mini arcade machine project? Um, I would love to, right, the original plan for that was to build Gauntlet and then build Gauntlet 2, which would be an empty shell with a monitor and control panel, Mm -hmm. and then split out the VGA output from the back of Gauntlet 1, so it would become a two-player experience. Oh, I see. So you'd have one and two back-to-back. But um, uh, it's a lot of effort at the moment. I don't think I can face that effort just yet. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine that any time that you're dealing with woodworking, I know in my own experience, it adds a whole nother level of complexity to any project. 
yeah yeah and i haven't got the tools i i um i called upon the help of a friend back when i made that um who doesn't have the tools anymore he's moved on so yeah it would be an expensive project just to buy the tools yeah you know a big part of i think anybody's retro gaming collection is nostalgia um I want to know about sort of your genesis as a as as a gamer. Uh, you know, what did you grow up playing, and what do you have the fondest memories of? <clears throat> well, my first machine was an Amstrad CPC four six four. This I is the one with the the multicolored keys, the that's greens right. and the reds. Yeah, yeah. It's this exact one here in this photo. That is my very first computer. Wow. <laughs> it's probably hard to see on the no, camera. No, no, it looks great. But. Um, that would have been on Christmas Day, I think, 1985, I think that was. Um, so that was my first computer. But you you asked fondest, and I think my fondest would probably be the next one, which was the Amiga 500. Oh, okay. So that would have been around 89, 90, mm -hmm. I got that. Um, just because I was, I was pretty young when I got that. Um, and uh, I knew what I was doing a bit more with the, with the Amiga 500. Um, yeah, yeah. What was it, I mean, what was it about the Amiga that attracted you to it? You know, when you saw it in the shops or when you were looking through catalogs and things, what, what pushed you in that direction versus, say, an Atari ST? An Atari ST? Who would buy an Atari ST? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm trying to be fair here. <laughs> now, I first saw the Amiga at, um, at a relative's house. Oh, okay. I think they were playing Silkworm mm -hmm. on there, which was a really great arcade conversion on oh, the Amiga. Yeah. Really, really well done. So I think I was just impressed by that. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really think of buying any other machines at the time. Mm. Um, and, so. and when you had that Amiga, were you a sort of a one computer man? Did you, was that where most of your energies focused upon that machine? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. It, Amiga was uh, the center of my computing world. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's so interesting to me because growing up in the US, we didn't have the computer centric focus that you guys had in the UK where everything, and of course, it, part of it has to do with my age too. You know, I'm, I'm 38, so I grew up uh, more in the in the 90s. My, my, my memories come more from the early 90s than the mid to late 80s. Um, but, you know, can you remember um, sort of, was there any sort of, of console versus PC back and forth in your mind as you were growing up? Like, well, maybe I should get into this stuff or was it never really on the table? Well, um, growing up, uh, if I just think about the estate I grew up on, we had, uh, my friends had everything from, uh, I could go to a house and play on an Acorn Electron, a ZX Spectrum, um, a bit later, an Acorn Archimedes. Um, and there were friends with consoles. So there was one with a Nintendo um, NES, and there was one with a Sega Master System. But on the whole, it was mostly micros. Okay. So uh, consoles were really the outliers. That changed a bit as we came into the 16-bit era, the Super Nintendo uh, and the Mega Drive, or Genesis for you guys. Um, that was certainly a lot more popular than the 8-bit consoles. Um, but yeah, it was mostly micros from my experience, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, you go down any high street, you know, the shops, in the 8-bit era, the shops would be stacked full of um of tapes um and mostly this is what we would go for 
just a little cassette tape like this would be one ninety nine. Right. This one, this one, in fact, is a compilation. This has still got the price of two ninety nine on there for four games, uh, rather than going out and spending thirty, forty pounds on a cartridge, however much they would have cost. That's <clears> been <throat> one of the most shocking um, things for me is to as we review these games on on the on the shows that we do, the purchase price you could build a whole library of ZX Spectrum titles for the price of one Nintendo cartridge, you know, and still and still we pirated them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they didn't make it hard, especially in the eight bit days. You know, if you had a cassette yeah. copier, you'd you'd be set. Um, what are, did you have a lot of? Um, you know, social gaming time was how how big of uh, you know the two player element was was gaming when you were growing up. It it, it was social in so much as uh, I would decide which machine I wanted to play on that day and go to that friend's house. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> um, or they would come to mine. I think the game we probably played the most socially at my house um, would have either been uh, Formula One Grand Prix on the Amiga. So I don't know if you if you played that the simulation. Oh yeah, it's I great. Think it was called, I think it was called World Circuit or something like that in the US. But yeah, Microprose. Mm-hmm. And the the fantastic thing about that game was it had a hot seat option. So you could do a full race and you could have you could put a player in every single car in the game. Mhm. And it would assign a certain amount of time to each of you. So you'd, you'd hot seat it. You'd have five minutes each in the car, which meant the computer was controlling you when your pl- friend was playing. And you just hope to God that your friend didn't ram you off <laughs> the, the course. Um, I, I agree with you. That's that's probably one of my favorite multiplayer experiences on the Amiga is playing play enough. And we did we had a great time with that on the Amigathon this year. Um, it's. It's such a great idea. I'm surprised that more games, especially F1 games, didn't take advantage of it. Because uh, you get to play, it's a two-player option. You get to use the full screen. You don't have to worry with the split screen. Um, really, really cool. Really, really cool. Um, short, short of having a second Amiga and being able to play something like Stunt Car Racer, I think that that was the next best thing yeah. for a multiplayer experience, for sure. Yeah. As you uh, as you grew up and, you, um, and the Amiga started to kind of fade into the background more uh what were what were some of the signs that you remember where you thought well boy maybe the amiga isn't going to be king of the hill for much longer it was probably when the 1200 came about because um as naive as i was towards computing you know i was by no means an expert i could still see that it wasn't enough it Mm -hmm. was too little too late and then when I saw the Amiga 600, it was just a case of what what the hell are you doing, Commodore? Yeah. How, how can you rehash a computer that is essentially nearly a 1985 machine mm-hmm. in the A1000 and you're still trying to sell it as new? Um, you know, they'd, they'd really missed their chance. Meanwhile, my friends, uh, my, my more well-off friends, were starting to move towards PCs and I was starting to see what they were capable of now that sound blasters were around and they had proper audio um now that they had more colors in in vga cards yeah it started to become a bit of a no-brainer and by the time we got to say the dx486 dx266 stage and you could play a game like need for speed the first need for speed on a pc Mm -hmm. just just forget about the Amiga. Just forget about it. It was a whole different level. Yeah. If you were if you were running the show back then, let's put let's go back to when did the twelve hundred come out? Was that ninety two? Hmm. 
Um, what would you what would you propose to the top brass rather than the the what they the AGA chipset? You know. Well, supposedly there was a whole other chipset that was in development in the what was called the Ombre chipset, and um, I've heard developers and uh, I've heard David Pleasance. Uh, who used to be in charge of Commodore in the UK, described that chipset in sort of 92, 93 um, stage, in prototype stage, being the equivalent of a PlayStation 2 in terms of power. Mm -hmm. Now, you imagine if that hit the shops with the Commodore um, branding on it back then. It would have been a repeat, I think, of the Amiga 1000 in, in 85. Um although not enough people noticed it in 85 i think if there'd been that that quantum leap in power in 92 with a commodore logo a lot more people would have sat up uh, and i think it would have gone to the next level yeah um, that qu quite what what that chipset entailed i i don't know but if we're talking playstation 2 power it would have been phenomenal absolutely you know that uh, Amiga would have continued on with its tradition of being featured on the back of the box, you know, <laughs> of all the games they'd always show mm. the Amiga version. Mm -hmm. um, that it would be it would be incredible. Do you do you think that um, do you think that there was I don't know by the time that you you got the five did you did you end up getting a twelve hundred? Did you move no. up to a twelve? Okay, okay. No, I went to a big. Um, uh, Commodore, well, Amiga, went to a big Amiga show in London. I think it was in 92 or 93. Um, it might have been the Amiga format show. So the magazine Amiga format. Mm -hmm. So I went there and they had the A1200 on display and all the new games that would use it. Like uh, they had Gunship 2000 had just been released um, and things like that. So I went to see it firsthand to make up my mind uh and yeah i, I chose against buying the 1200 mm -hmm. and instead bought a packard bell 486 pc <laughs> <laughs> were the were the prices comparable back then in the uk uh, the amiga was still a lot cheaper was it okay. uh i think it was probably 399 maybe mm -hmm. 499 something like that mm -hmm. for the amiga um the, the 600 was i think that dropped to 299 it's I, i'm i'm really digging deep here i can't remember exactly how much they were but it was probably half the price the 1200 was probably half the price that i paid for the packard bell oh okay okay well you know you moved on to the pc and uh you i'm sure you you played the latest and greatest games were you always sort of did you always have one foot in the retro scene even back then or was the getting back into retro gaming did that happen later on in life Oh, it depends which midlife crisis you ask me about. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I think it goes back to as far as probably about 1996, 97. Um, so I was studying computer science at college back then. And I remember part of the prospectus was a communications class. And we're not talking network communications, we're talking business communications. So in this particular class, we had to get, get up and give presentations of our own choosing. It wasn't about the content. It was about the delivery. Uh, and I remember back then giving a presentation on this new emulator called MAME. Oh, and wow. explaining to the class that this, you know, this new thing had come on the scene. It wasn't all about single emulators anymore. This was going to be the future. So I remember being into it uh, back as far as then. And then I'd always used to listen to 
or was it George R. Monroe's retro gaming radio podcast? Oh, Shane R. Monroe. Shane R. Monroe. Sorry, George, yeah. wasn't George Monroe Game of Thrones or something? <laughs> 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 he was well into his retro. Um, no, Shane R. Monroe, that's it. Um, and, uh, you know, before iTunes took off and before podcasts were a big thing, I found this guy um, talking about the stuff that I loved and mm. wanted to know more about. And, uh, listening back to some of them they haven't aged well but at the time it was a great outlet so i was well into the retro scene back then for sure it's funny you mentioned shane r monroe that's one of aaron's he always cites that as an influence on on the 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 show that we do he said he listened to shane you know way back back when nobody else was doing it like he said there were no podcasts and he was just yeah yeah and i used to troll websites like um zofa's domain and atmospheric heights um, I don't know if they ring any bells for you, but all these obscure websites on the sort of periphery of the internet where oh, you can yeah. just find all this emulation well, news. Yeah. yeah, Zofar was the the place to go for the the latest emulators, and uh, and so yeah, I, I I was definitely back there with you for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you first started to build your first retro gaming collection, did you have any goals? Were there were there certain things that you wanted right away, or did you just kind of let it grow organically? Um, I think, yeah, there were certain things I wanted. <clears throat> it's because um, you're lusting after these things and you're trying to fill the gaps uh, with things that you always wanted back in the day and you couldn't afford. So I think the first thing I went out and got hold of was a CDTV, mm-hmm. which is a terrible machine, but it just looks great. It's a great looking machine. Uh, I wish I still had that. Um and then uh, the obscure things that I probably wouldn't have even been able to get hold of if I'd tried when they were around originally, like the PC Engine and the Turbo Graphics. So I went out and got those. Um, but there was no rhyme nor reason to why I was buying what I was buying other than lust. I think <laughs> it was pure lust. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you always been someone? I know that a, a big feature of the cave is that you've got stuff set up on its end so it's easily displayed. You know, people love to just look at the shelves. Um, yeah. have, have you always been that way? Have you always been a big display guy? Um, <laughs> only because I've got the room now. Like mm-hmm. I said, originally it was in a dank and damp um, basement, so I just put it where I could. Um you know, I, I spent a lot of years working in a, a retail environment, doing IT mm-hmm. um, for shops. And I, I think some of that shop display stuff maybe rubbed off on me a little bit because when I sat down and actually thought about, OK, I've got this cave space. How should I display it? Um, I'd never done anything like this before. It just kind of came naturally on a on a mood board. So I blame working in in retail. <laughs> yeah, well, I you know, I'm right there with you for me. If I can't display it and I can't, you know, come, I come down in my basement and I look around and if I, if I can't see it, I'm not really enjoying it. You know, if it's mm. in a closet somewhere, it's like, why do I even have it? I can emulate all this stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That rings very true. Um, I've actually got a loft space now, which I rented for storage. It's in the same building. It's mm-hmm. three floors up. So, uh, you know, taking monitors up and down is fun. Oh, yeah. But um, it was starting to turn into, well, I, I, t- I, rented it for storage but it was just turning into piles and piles of stuff that were completely disorganized so in recent weeks i've been sorting that all out i bought 10 desks and put them up there wow um i've lined the walls with posters i'm turning it into like a private museum if you like so yes i've got everything in storage up there but it's on display you can sit down and use any of the machines at any time you can i've got nice shelves up so you can go through all of the software and just pull it out and 
have a read uh, or, or, or pop it in a machine and play it. So, um, yeah, I'm the same. If it's not on display, then what are you doing with it? You're depriving someone else from having it on display and enjoying it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Do you have any plans to shoot any footage up there? I will. I've been recording as I go to show the transformation. Um, uh, unfortunately, because of the the location and the rental agreement, I can't just open it up to the public. Okay. But um, I will privately take people up there when they come and visit or if people come and make a donation to the cave mm -hmm. that, you know, allow them some time to come up there with me and play on some games and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly share it with you when it's when it's ready. Oh, that's fantastic. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about uh, your YouTube channel. Um, when you first started the cave channel itself, what was your what was your vision? Because I'm sure it might have turned out differently than you originally thought, right? Mm. Mm. Well, this game here next to me, um, Combat Links by Durell Software. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. But um, that is the subject of the first video that I put up in 2017. Um, and I think looking back at it, this wasn't a conscious decision, but um, I think part of what I was trying to do in those early videos was the same as a lot of people tried to do, which is the whole angry video game nerd thing. Mm, yeah. Um, although um, I, I was sort of veering towards flight simulators because that's just a genre that I've always liked. So I thought, okay, I'll, um, I'll review a few flight simulators. And um, that's, that's all there is to it. I just thought I'd review flight simulators and try and connect with people mm -hmm. and try and entertain them by doing uh, maybe the angry video game nerd thing. But anyone who's watched me knows that I don't get angry. <laughs> you don't. You don't strike me <laughs> as a very I angry person. Too angry very really well. <laughs> so that's so I, I. You know, I think I binned that off before I even um, edited the video and and just shot it again. It's just a, a chilled out. Let's play. Mm -hmm. um, but there was no vision. No. No, I just went from one video to the next. Mm -hmm. When when do you think the turning point happened when um, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're going from making videos about games to now I'm doing hardware and now mm. I've got now I've got stuff on the shelves and it looks cool and my lighting's great. I mean, when did that pivot occur, do you think? Well, that was part and parcel of wanting to rebuild my collection and finding that I could only do that if I bought broken stuff. So um, I started picking stuff up um, and I started showing them on videos. Uh, I, I think the first, I might be wrong, but I think the first restoration I did was a, uh, a deck um, uh, computer, which I picked up for 16 pounds on eBay with the monitor. And I knew nothing about this machine. I'd never been in an environment where I got to use these workstations, but I could see the battery had leaked. I could see it was rusty and it needed a good cleanup. So I just documented the process of, of restoring it and it seemed to turn heads. Um, and I tried to do it in a way that was respectful to the audience and to the machine rather than being angry video game restorer mm. <laughs> um that would be uh, that would be an odd thing to really be angry right? cleaning Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> i hate you but i'm gonna clean you um uh yeah and it just it seemed to turn heads slowly um magically people like uh lazy game reviews clint suddenly left a comment oh 
wow. um, you know, on videos. And I thought, okay, I might be onto something here. So, um, of course, I wanted to get an Amiga 500 back in my collection. So I turned to that next. And I think because I had a bit more knowledge of that machine and a lot more love for that machine because of my history with it, I think that shone through in the series that I made restoring it, uh, a combination of just carefully restoring this um, old Amiga 500 combined with music from the games and from the demos that were on the system in the background and a little bit of editing to, um, I don't know, just present the machine in different angles than we'd seen Mm -hmm. in other videos rather than just top-down, no change of camera shots. I thought I'd try and make it a bit more cinematic. And that was the one. Um, Now, at this point, I had no ambitions with YouTube. I was just making videos. I didn't realize the importance of that video series until probably three or four months later when I, for the first time, actually looked at the analytics because I wasn't paying attention to any of it and saw that in October of that year, I had a bump of 10,000 subscribers in one month. And uh, it sort of dawned on me that, okay, that that doesn't seem normal in no. in, in our niche, mm-hmm. in our corner of YouTube, mm-hmm. that's, that's not normal. Um, yeah, that happened in October. I don't think it was till January or February that I realized something was <laughs> going on. Um, so I probably started to take it a bit more seriously then in, in early 2018. And, um, you know, just because subscribers and success came quite quickly, it it doesn't mean that experience came with it. I still had to feel everything out. I still had to work out, how do I stop my microphone from being so echoey? Mm -hmm. How do I get the light better in here? So there's there's been a really slow progress in trying to improve videos just a little bit at a time with each video. I was going to say, do you have any previous experience with lighting or sound or video? Oh, can you not see the light bouncing off my head? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you have the same problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very shiny. Very shiny. Um, No, it really is trial and error. So, um, so, you know, just about a month ago, I realized that if I unscrew the the, the strip lights um, here, no, here, but leave them on here, it sort of makes everything a bit pop a bit more so it's just i've got no experience i don't know why that works i just try things uh and they seem to to work and if they don't you can bet sure as hell someone in the comments section will tell you that it doesn't work <laughs> people are people are not shy to point out errors in youtube comments that's for sure yeah. no, the, the, to be fair the the comments in my channel are pretty constructive i very rarely get just pure anger and abuse that's that's good speaking of speaking of that you know there's a million people now that do what you do there's a million Mm -hmm. people now that do what i do um what is it that that makes you different what is it that um causes all these people to flock to your channel what do you think that your secret sauce is i don't know i don't know what my secret sauce is (laughs) um I don't I, I honestly don't know what it is. Um, obviously, the great advantage that I have is time because the cave um, it's not my full time job. I, I now work as a graphic designer. So I worked in IT for many years, um, but I got a bit burnt out and I had a side job as a graphic designer working for myself. And so I rented this space partly for the YouTube and partly for that job. So um, 
I have the benefit of being in here nine to five every day of having probably more time than a lot of people have got to um to uh, to make videos and to edit videos so time is is the one advantage that i have although i do quickly fill it uh, by adding more formats and more shows and um trying out different things uh, i think the other things i do is i make a conscious effort not to recycle content so if i'm telling a story it's very easy to just look up an old advert to um look up pictures on google or whatever and, and use them in the storytelling process and there's nothing wrong with that but if i've got access to the machine then i try to create new footage and i try to present brand new content and show the machines from different angles and um in different ways so i try to be as original as possible with the footage that people get to see and i think when you combine that with the lighting that seems to work and a backdrop and some some music that perhaps makes you feel a bit nostalgic um takes you back to to that time i think all of these things add up and people seem to like the experience and sometimes it really works sometimes i don't quite hit the mark um but you know from video to video the trend seems to be an increased audience so yeah. i guess i'm doing something right I, yeah. you're absolutely doing something right um, um and I, I guess add to that i do try to be polite i I've, I've made a effort from the beginning to not sort of swearing my videos to make it family friendly to be respectful to the audience and to be very respectful to the thing that i'm working on because if you think about zx spectrum good old rubber key zx mm -hmm. spectrum you know uh, as terrible as certain features are of the machine technically like it's rubber keys that represents someone's childhood that represents years of someone's life um fun happiness escapism from whatever troubles they had in their life it's all wrapped up in that machine and in other machines so i feel it's my duty to be respectful to these things because they're such a huge part of people's lives um and i do think about that as well when i'm restoring them uh when i was restoring the mattel aquarius recently two episodes in i was thinking where, where are the good features in this machine this <laughs> this is you know i'm at a loss here this is a terrible terrible machine but a couple of people left comments on the first episode just saying but this is how i got into basic i had great memories of this machine i know it's bad but it set me on my way for a career in it mm -hmm. um and so uh, i think perhaps that sets me apart a little bit that i try to maintain that respect for the machines for the people watching and um yeah for, for their memories well as i'm sure that uh you've noticed if you've watched other channels it's it's far far easier to tear a machine apart and be critical yeah. than it is to, to to be positive and that's that's uh one of the things that i i'm really proud of with uh with what what we do on amigos is that no matter how terrible uh, a game we review is uh, no matter how terrible Aaron or I might think it is we always try and find the positive and like you said that might have been somebody's only game growing up and they probably you know spent hours and hours and hours enjoying it so mm. what was the game you've been playing lately on the Thompson MO5 um, oh that was a uh, Yeti right Yeti mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> great game and when I first found you guys on YouTube and I saw you were covering things like the ZX Spectrum as soon as i clicked play my immediate thought was okay these guys are going to slate it they're going to look at these these british games um with terrible color clash 
and they're going to talk about how bad it is compared to the Nintendo NES. Um, so it was so refreshing when you didn't. But yeah, it was really nice. Really enjoyed it. Well, and that's why I'm a patron. Well, I'm glad, <laughs> and, and we do appreciate your support for sure. <laughs> do you have any advice for people that uh, they are in a position where they have some space? and they have a lot of memories and they, they want to start buying, they want to start building a collection. Um, from the lessons that you've learned building several collections, do you have any sort of pointers for them so they're not uh, disappointed or they get the most the most out of the experience of collecting? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think the important thing to think about is uh, once you've got whatever it is that you're thinking of getting, um, once you've put it on that shelf and you've stood back and you've looked proudly at it and uh, got a warm, fuzzy feeling, what are you going to do with it then? <laughs> <laughs> are you actually going to use this thing? Um, is this something you can share with your friends? Is this something that's going to bring you long-term enjoyment? Or, um, or should you be spending it on something else? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because if you're, if you're buying it for the wrong reasons, uh, you're depriving someone else of, of that enjoyment who might be buying it for the right reason. So think think carefully. Um, otherwise, just just go for it. <laughs> just go for it. Um, I can't think of any specific advice other than if you're not enjoying it, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> what about people that want to follow in your footsteps as a um, as a YouTuber? Do you have any advice for them? I don't think there's any magic bullet. There's 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 no um, there's no secret word, secret password I can give you to, to to be successful. But what I would encourage you to do is to to contact me if I can help you. I'm always happy to chat, and I'm always looking to cal collaborate because um, again, I'm not I'm not claiming to be the most successful YouTuber in the world, um, but I have had success in our niche. And I do feel a, a duty to share that success with other people because the more successful people are in our retro community, the more we all benefit from it. So just this week, I was filming a segment for Tamara Cade on the BBC um, Bridge console. Did you know there was a console? No. Brought out by the BBC? That no. Was just, Tell me. Tell me Just about for it. Bridge. Uh, the game bridge it was 199 pounds wow so twi twice the price of a zx spectrum for a console that just played bridge <laughs> that is that is crazy um so when was this when was this brought out uh, 1985 i think it was okay so around the same yeah. time that the bbc micro launched right it was just 35 pounds cheaper than the model a bbc micro which had a bridge game. Wow. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just this week I recorded, a, you know, a segment for Tamara Cade. She's not a huge YouTuber, but she's up and coming. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm, you know, you don't need to ask me twice. Just get in touch on Twitter if I can do anything for you, if we can collaborate. I think that's the best thing I can do to help people rather than saying you should do this or you should do that because everyone has their own style. Sure. Um, so, I, you know, don't try and be like me. Try and be like you. <laughs> now, forgive me if, if you've already done this. I, one of the best videos I've ever seen from the 8-Bit guy was where he actually breaks down his entire studio, his equipment, his recording process. Have you ever thought about doing something similar in the cave? It's a good idea. Um, 
I've done a few vlogs, uh, very infrequent vlogs for patrons only, mm -hmm. where I've shown them new new equipment as and when I've bought it. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert on things like cameras and on lighting, as as you've discovered today. <laughs> so I could certainly show you show people what equipment I have and some of the tips that I've picked up along the way, because there are certain things that you can do as a new YouTuber or even an experienced YouTuber to to save money. Um, for ex and, and get better results for example i use a cardboard box which i've lined with foam and i put my microphone inside um and that's a very cheap way of saving a fortune because audio equipment costs a fortune if you say you're buying it for a studio um and it immediately gave me much better results on my sound recording so i think if i did a video like that it would probably be yes here's my equipment but here's some ways of saving money, some some sort of cheap hints and tips to get better results very quickly. Mm -hmm. mm. You've got me thinking. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are speaking of your future plans? I, I know you don't want to give away all your secrets, but can you, get, can, <laughs> can you give us a peek behind the curtain on what we can expect in the in the future from the cave? Um, oh, might have something down here. Can you tell what it is? That's a micro, isn't it? It's a BBC. Right, a BBC it's micro. Not, not a micro. Oh. Close. It's um. It's uh, a master. Oh, I don't know. I would, BBC I would master. never guess that. So it's the micro's bigger brother. Oh. Um, so I've, I've got that. So I've got a BBC micro, uh, which needs some TLC. I've got the, the master, the bigger brother. I've got behind me the Acorn Electron over here which is the cost reduced basically version of the bbc micro and i've got an original cub branded monitor which is pretty much which what every school had because the bbc micro was our school computer here um so i think i've got all of the components now to put together a nice bbc story and restoration series that's what i'd like to do and revisit a lot of the software that i would have used in school Mm -hmm. um, so probably some BBC micro stuff. Um, I think I have enough formats on the channel now because I do restorations, I do road trips, reviews, show and tell. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to introduce any new formats. I'm just going to work with what I've got. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, th I think they work okay. Uh, and the tea breaks as well, which are the, the interview formats that I do. Um, what might I be doing? What else? Um, I think ultimately in, in thinking longer, longer term, uh, like I've spoken about with the, the loft space, ultimately I want to find a way of sharing what's in the cave more with people, um, you know, in person, not just on video. So I want people to be able to come and use these machines. So I, I haven't got any concrete plans to, to, I don't know how I'll achieve that, but um, I think that's the long-term goal is to somehow make the cave um a destination if you like to, to give people the chance to not only watch the videos but to come and actually use the equipment um it's a pipe dream mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't know how i'll make that happen but i'd love to make that happen have you um have you been out and about do you go to the revival events or anything similar 
yeah, I tried to get to uh, the expos. Uh, the most recent one I went to was last weekend. So I went to Swag, which is the Southwest Amiga group. And uh, Pixels at Dawn wasn't there this time. He was there last time. So it's always good to see Ian there. Mm-hmm. Um, who else was there? Um, Pixel Vixen, Vicky was there this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she won an Amiga 1200 in the raffle. Wow. <laughs> Lucky duck. <laughs> Went home with an Amiga 1200. <laughs> so that's a great one, Southwest Amiga Group. Uh, I also went to Retcon recently, which is over near London. And the next big one I'm going to is Play Expo in Blackpool. Okay. So that's a great one. They have a huge arcade there um, and lots of old industry veterans giving talks. So... When you attend these events, do you ever bring machines with you and set up little displays, or do you just go and, and have a hang around? I do at the smaller ones, so at Swag. Um, this time at Swag, I took all my filming equipment. So you'll see a video on the channel soon of my Swag experience. But the time before that, I took my Amiga 1500 and um, Retcon, I took the Mega PC. So I do, I do try to take equipment when I can. Uh, play back Blackpool they've got it covered they've got every system mm-hmm. under the sun mm-hmm. going so they don't need my systems <laughs> but it's great you're already starting to sort of realize your dream of sharing your your systems yeah. with people and that's yeah so retcon was nice because I, I had a table I took a few of the crates with me and a bit of lighting and some uh, some software to make a little display and set up um, I set up the mini gauntlet arcade and the mega PC so it was nice to see people experience systems that they hadn't had a chance to before and just enjoy it seeing people enjoy themselves yeah yeah all right a couple of rapid fire questions before we wrap this thing up okay hit me all right (laughs) when you're not retro man cave what do you like to do Oh, Retro Man Cave's a lifestyle. It doesn't, it <laughs> it doesn't is sort switch of a lifestyle off. brand, yeah. It doesn't switch <laughs> off. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, me and Miss RMC Lily, we bought a house together for the first time uh, nearly a year ago now. Oh, congratulations. So a lot, thank you. So a lot of my time is spent um, renovating that because it needs a bit of work. Uh, trash to treasure on the house, if mm-hmm. you like. Um, and I like to go running. Um, I live in the countryside, so it's nice to get out in the fields and, uh, yeah, do some exercise and switch my brain off for a bit. All right. Um, tell me, you've only got th- three games. You've got a mystical, magical console that can play any game ever from any era. <laughs> and you are marooned on this desert island in which all your physical needs are met, so you're not hungry or thirsty or in want of shelter. You've got nothing but time. What three games can you play for the rest of your life? That's a really hard one. Um, I would have to have a LucasArts game in there. And I think the one I probably enjoyed the most back in the day was Grim Fandango. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'll take Manny Calavera with me from Grim Fandango. Um, So that would be PC. Let's try and pick something from each system. So let's go with the Amiga... Let's come back to the Amiga shortly. That's <laughs> difficult. Um, going back to the Amstrad CPC. Mm, I'm going to go with Finders Keepers because Finders Keepers is is sort of a puzzle side-scrolling game, which I've never gotten around to completing. Do you know you have those games on your list that you think, I'll, I'll go back to that and finish it one day. That's been on my list for over 30 years. So I'll take Finders Keepers. Okay. And make sure I complete that. We've got Grim Fandango on the Amiga. So when I was at Retcon recently, um, I won this. 
Oh. I've lost my headphones. <laughs> so this is the I won the sensible soccer tournament, <laughs> which is a great Amiga. That is game. that is a fantastic achievement. That's that's wonderful. <laughs> I love that. I love that that cup too. But I'm going to poo-poo it. I hated Sensible Soccer back in the day. I I don't know how I won that tournament. (laughs) So I'm not going to take Sensible Soccer, and this is going to cause some controversy. I'm going to take... For the Amiga, I'm going to take Kickoff 2, a far superior football game. Dino Dini would be proud. He would, and I'll find a a native on the island who will play that with me. All right. Well, that's... that's that's a that's a that's a hard three to argue with i'll tell you that (laughs) okay let's talk a little bit about your current um both hardware grail and software grail what are just uh, a piece of software that you're just dying to get your hands on and likewise a piece of hardware Oh, piece of hardware. Do you know, I, my my finger was hovering over the uh, the bid button on eBay today for an Amiga 1000. Mm. Um, it was just, it was out of my budget. It went for a very good price. It went for 450 pounds with um, an accelerator of some kind inside it. And, uh, but it did have a fault. It had a red screen fault, which usually means a problem with the kickstart. Mm-hmm. So I think I would have had a good chance at fixing that, but I I didn't have 450 pounds to throw at that. So I still lust after an Amiga 1000 because they're such good looking machines. They are. They're the most beautiful Amiga by far, in my opinion. Yeah, Yeah. really good looking machine. Um, And then something a bit more obscure. Um, I'd really like to get my hands on a Sam Coupe. Oh, yeah. Which uh, you're familiar with that Mm -hmm. machine. This is this weird... um, 8-bit machine that so badly wants to be a 16-bit machine that runs ZX Spectrum yeah. games. It's <laughs> it's a very odd machine, very mm. obscure, a really unique style. It's like a back-to-front style mm. of computer. Um, yeah, I'd like to get hold of that um, just to see what it's all about, really. Software. Oh, that's difficult, isn't it? Um, I would like... Can it be imaginary software or does sure. it have to be software that exists? Blue Sky. I would like a new version of Ultima that Electronic Arts hasn't massacred and filled with loot boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Richard Garriott back in charge. Mm-hmm. Give us a version of Ultima uh, and continue the story. Um, I know he made a game called Shroud of the Avatar mm-hmm. using Kickstarter, which was kind of the spiritual successor. It didn't work for me. It didn't mm-hmm. work for me. Get back to your roots. Mm-hmm. Pick up where Ultima 7 left off, I think. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm... Okay, okay. I love it. I had something to show you as well. I completely forgot. Oh, that's all right. I'll, right next show me. me now. <clears throat> this is a um, the A500++. So I am slowly, one component at a time, building the world's newest Amiga with brand new parts. So this is going to be a brand new Amiga 500+. Um, with the exception of the custom chips. Right. So they have to come off of a, a dead 500 plus. Mm-hmm. But uh, otherwise, this will be the newest Amiga. And then I'm going to put it into the Checkmate 1500 plus case. Oh, wow. Now, so, what is that What does that board run? How much do those cost? Um, well, I don't think they're on sale yet. Oh, okay. Um, so you sort of got so, a pre, pre-release model. I did. This is the second one because the first one I had, um, some of the um, traces weren't quite right. So uh, I waited to get this one. So once we're all happy that this revision, this is 2.1, once we're happy this is all good and working, 
and I'm sure Rob, who makes them, will um will put them on sale, and I'll, I'll share everywhere where you can get them from. But yeah, I think I I just thought a brand new Amiga case in the Checkmate deserved a brand new Amiga. Absolutely. <laughs> do you have any? Um, you I, I mean, I would be terrified to uh, to solder on all those little components. But do you be, do you feel feel pretty confident? You've got what it takes. It, it, again, it's time. It's time. I've, I, I had my headphones on today, listening to relaxing music, just mm-hmm. taking my time. Yeah. If you rush it, you're going to cause problems. So, um, yeah, I, I think I've I, I think I've got it. I think it's going to be okay. That's great. I'm getting all the little bits out the way, and then suddenly all the big bits will bring it together very quickly. Yeah. And the uh, the the custom chips are seated, right? You just you just slot them in. You don't have to solder. So that's right. So they're just socketed. They just pop out and in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, do you have any questions for me, Neil? I don't have any. Oh, yes. Uh, I know you're a collector of fine pencil sharpeners, uh, according to your Twitter bio. So uh, what's your favorite pencil sharpener? Well, I've got two that I really like. They're both German, and they're both really, really heavy brass. I find that the heavier the, the pencil sharpener is, the better it does its job. Um, I will say that uh, if you're going to be sharpening uh, a, a lot of pencils, you don't want to use a uh, any of these. You want to use an electric because they'll they'll hurt your hands. But if if you're <laughs> if you're looking for something that will last you, these things are so fancy you can actually replace the blades in them. You can unscrew the blade. They they sell replacement blades. So just search for brass German pencil sharpeners on Amazon, and the world's your oyster. Do you know, I, I really thought it was just a flippant comment you'd put on your bio in Twitter, but you really are into pencil sharpeners. I'm all in, all in. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Neil. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to, to talk to me today. Um, before we go, uh, I just want to ask you, who do you think is doing the best work on YouTube right now? Oh, apart from you guys. Um, uh, it's got to be the big dog that just year after year after year turns out great content. It's got to be lazy game reviews. It's got to be Clint. Mm-hmm. And that's not me trying to suck up to the guy because he's got over a million subscribers. He genuinely has a great channel and makes great content, which is um, completely devoid of um, ego. It's just celebrating the hobby that we love. So, um I'm sure everyone who's watching this is following Lazy Game Reviews, but if you're not, he's the man. He really is. Yeah, Clint's great. He's great. All right, Neil. Well, thanks again, and uh, we will see you. See you later on. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.